Good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to episode 44 now. We're actually climbing up. I started uh, this podcast last November, so closing in on a year, and we're on episode 44. And we're doing pretty well as far as uh, gaining subscribers, gaining listeners. Um, so I'm pretty happy with the project. Uh, like I spoke about when I first started this, I did it more out of frustration, honestly, just to appeal to the public and, you know, um, talk to them almost one-on-one where I would feel I was talking to them one-on-one and whoever listens, great. And uh, it just kind of grown and, and, and morphed and... Uh, changed a little bit and you know um, different topics come up so I'm pretty pleased with how everything's going with it I gotta say what the future of it has I don't know I don't know um, you know where I'll take it how much further I'll even go with it those are all kind of things that are unknown I just take uh, day by day and even with the um, topics of the podcast I kind of wait to see if something hits me that I want to talk about so at least it's engaging and informative, and it doesn't—it doesn't just sound like I'm sitting here going through the through the motions. I'd I'd much rather have a episode that people find uh, entertaining or informative or engaging than one where I'm just rambling on. And so far, I think uh, I've accomplished that with the episodes. I'm sure not every one of them's a gem, but <laughs> I think. Uh, Overall, I think it's um, we're on a pretty good path, and I think the theme has kind of stayed the same and stayed constant. Today, uh, I'm doing this podcast pretty late. It's uh, I think it's almost two two a.m. And obviously, uh, you know, we all work, we all got things going on. So when I get busy, you know, this kind of falls on the back burner. And then if I can't sleep, which is normally the case, I'll look to uh, put one of these together. Um, one thing that I was thinking about, uh, during the week, and actually I want to thank, uh, the radio host, Frank, uh, Marano for putting it in my head. He asked me a good question and, you know, I was able to touch on it a little bit, but you know, when you have segments on shows, you don't really have a lot of time to go back and forth and have a uh, thorough dialogue sometimes on it. And we were talking about the discovery, uh, changes, which I spoke about on my last episode. And, you know, he um, raised the, the issue um, that a lot of those who oppose the discovery changes in New York were concerned about um, where it relates to informants. You know, they had a concern that by divulging who the, all the informants are so early on that it could put, you know, the informant at risk and the witness at risk and that, that poses a potential problem. Uh, I do understand the argument. I, I don't agree with the argument. I'm going to elaborate a little more. And I, I was able to, to give a quick um, response, but I think it's something that does deserve a little more diving into because it is an interesting point. And I think um, the validity of, of my angle will make sense and will resonate with people, especially obviously on the defense side. The way I see it is, you know, it's two, it's twofold. For all these years, it, it worked the opposite way. You know, it worked in the way where you had all this time to, you know, you were indicted 
And you didn't know who your accusers were. You didn't know who was going to be testifying against you. You didn't know who your witnesses were. And you had to build your case based on that. And it was a big disadvantage for the defense team in that respect. And now that the ties have shifted a little bit, it just evens the scales. You know, it brings them up a little a little more level. And it allows for the defense to, which I believe rightfully so, if you're indicted and you're charged with a crime, I believe you should know all these things the second that indictment's handed down. Now, they do use the argument that they want to, you know, uh, for safety reasons, you know, they don't want to disclose uh, that early on. However, the way I see it, when you bring that indictment, you have to be ready to go. I mean, you can't, you can't hold things back and then try to continue to investigate and continue to obtain information and obtain evidence after somebody's already been indicted. Now, I understand that that goes on, but when you, when you think about it, if, if you feel strong enough that somebody's guilty and you feel strong enough that they, they should face the justice system, then it, it, the burden should be on those bringing the charges, whether it's on the state level or the federal level, to make sure when that time comes, they have everything buttoned up. They shouldn't be allowed additional time to sort things out or to build a different, uh, additional information. When somebody's being charged, they have a right to know who's accusing them of what and how to start building their case around that. I mean, if you have, which I've experienced, a lot of uh, people experienced uh, when they're building their, their defense, they'll have people that are out-and-out liars saying things about them. Now, if they don't know these individuals, as time goes by, it puts them at a bad disadvantage as far as trying to build their case and build and build your defense uh, based on what is being said about you, what is being supposedly reported about you, what an informant may be saying you, you did or didn't do. It takes time, and it takes a lot of analyzing, and it takes a lot of strategizing. And one thing I learned is it's very difficult, extremely difficult, actually, to prove someone's lying. You know, it, it, it's it's a lot deeper than a he said, she said type type deal. You know, you have, they have a lot more weight. The accuser or the informant uh, has a lot more weight from inception because they have the backing of the state or the federal government, whatever it may be. They have that backing. So from the outside looking in, they have a lot more credibility because they're saying, not only is this informant saying this, we believe they're saying this. And society, obviously, they hold uh, state officials and, and law enforcement and federal officials and law enforcement in high regard. And in doing so, when they're bringing forth an informant, automatically that depicts the image that this person is being truthful. Otherwise, why would they go through all this trouble? You know, why would they even bother um, having this person work with them and feed them information if they weren't being truthful? So you have that obstacle right from inception to deal with, and proving somebody's lying is difficult. You know, I, I used to always think, well, if you did, you did nothing wrong, you have nothing to worry about because it's all lies. What does it matter? And I tell you, I, I was very wrong in, in thinking that way. I was, I was naive because it's, it's extremely dangerous. It's extremely dangerous depending on who is giving that person weight. And who is going to take that person and utilize their lies or their misinformation 
to build a case. Now you have to go and try to disprove what they are saying, which is not always, I shouldn't say not always, it's, it's very hard at all costs to do that. You know, it boils down to uh, credibility, you know, where you're trying to disprove the lies that somebody is alleging about you. And it's a difficult thing to, to do. So when I hear the argument that, you know, um, the opposition of the new discovery laws, that they're concerned that the witnesses and the informants are being divulged way too soon, I just don't feel it's a strong argument because I feel by the time that indictment comes, everything should be tied up, everything should be buttoned up. And to keep putting the defendant at a disadvantage merely because you want more time, you want more time to investigate the case, because even though they may say the reason is for safety, a lot of times it's 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 more so that they want to continue using that informant. You know, they'll continue using uh, that person wearing a wire to, to keep adding to the case so they could get additional rounds of discovery and save almost surprises for trial. You know, things that develop even while you're indicted, they'll try to continue to get information to, to make that case even stronger, which when you think about it, that really doesn't make any sense. If you were indicted, that's it. That should be everything against you, and now you got to face, you know, face the music, go, go against either the evidence they have or the evidence they don't have. So I, I appreciated Frank raising that issue because I'm sure that is, you know, from what he said, you know, that comes up a lot, and that's a lot of what the uh, opponents of the discovery uh, reform feel. But I just don't think it's really that, uh, it's not that credible. I understand it. I'm not disregarding it. It, it does make st- sense uh, logically. I understand it. But I don't think it's such a strong argument that it outweighs the rights of the defendant. I think the burden then just falls on the, on the state, on law enforcement, on the federal government, where they have to make sure that if they're ready to indict somebody, they have to have all those loose ends tied up. You know, if they need to protect that witness, they need to protect that informant, they should have that all buttoned up before the indictments come down. You know, um, the same way now the defendant has to go through the process of trial, of obtaining a lawyer, of building their case, of going for money, going for aggravation, going for, you know, uh, uh, emotional drainage on the family, on themselves. Well, the government has to make sure and the state has to make sure and law enforcement has to make sure that on their end, they're ready to go because it should be as equal as it possibly can for both sides. And it's not always going to be perfect. And and one side's, you know, never going to be truly happy. There's always things each side could pull apart. But right now, I feel the defendant on a whole in the justice system is already climbing such a steep hill that this important change at least tries to make things more fair and make things where you have a more solid shot of defending your case. And I don't think that argument really holds water as far as the strength of it to to disregard it and to go back to the way it used to be. You know, it's been that way forever. Now, now possibly... You know, now it's the defendant's turn to kind of have things on more of an even playing field and then see how these cases develop. And also, I feel it'll it'll make certain that when these indictments do 
come down. It's not just, you know, throwing as much mud up against the wall and seeing what sticks. They're going to make sure these are strong cases with the evidence to support it, which there's nothing wrong in that. You have a strong case, you have the evidence to support, you know, that's how the justice system works. You get arrested or you do a crime or whatever, you have to, you know, you have to fight your case. And this, you know, you have to be prepared. You can't just, and I think they almost had a safety net in the past because they could keep these individuals in the background. They could not release who they are. And they could keep working the case. And keep, keep, maybe the case wasn't as strong, you know, when they got that indictment. And they know it wasn't that strong. And they want to get additional information. Well, guess what? Then you wait. Then you wait for the indictment. You can't, you know, if you're not ready to go, then don't go yet. Then don't indict somebody. And that's the problem. It all goes back to the theme I always talk about of how easy it is to get an indictment. And there's not really much to lose. You just go, you get your indictment, and then you go from there. And now at least, you know, the defense, there's a lot that needs to be done on the defense side. You know, when you find out who these informants are, and if they're lying against you, you want to make sure you do whatever you can to expose that and to prove that these are lies. And it may require hiring a private investigator. It's definitely going to require going through the discovery. And, you know, that's another thing I wanted to touch on. Um, a lot of what I do uh, is, is discovery-based. I mean, whether it's criminal, uh, I've had a few civil cases, but it's all discovery-based where, you know, I'll extract the hard drive, I'll go through it, I'll go through the different uh, documents, go through the uh, different information. And what I like to do is I like to convert any of the images that are on the hard drive. You know, they'll have a lot of scanned in images where you can't, you can't search the text, you know, and I like to convert all that. This way you don't have to go through each one, one at a time. You could search keywords. So if you want to search the informant's name, you want to search uh, things related to the case to focus on, you know, if there's a car involved in the case or there's a gun involved in the case, whatever the fact may be, you want to be able to go through those things. So now when you have the list of the informants and the witnesses against you, you want to be able to go through all that discovery and sometimes... It's massive amount of information. I mean, uh, when I say hundreds of thousands of documents in certain cases, I'm not exaggerating. That's a fact. There's a ton of documents, and you don't have much time to go through it. So now if you want to go through every document, let's say with John Doe. John Doe's an informant on your case, and you want to go through every document with John Doe. That's going to take a long time, and you need all the time you can to prepare for that. So you have to feed it through your system. You have to isolate it. You want to pull it all out, and then you want to go through each document. You want to see if there's anything um, that contradicts. You want to see if there's anything that's inaccurate that you can prove, uh, inaccurate that maybe you can't prove, so you have to decide how you have to try to pr uh, show that w what is being said is a lie. You know, there's a lot of strategizing there, and the more time a defendant has, it's only fair because when you think about it, when they're building their case— they're kind of preparing that whole time. They're preparing for trial when they're building the case. They're having all those years. You have some of these investigations that go on for years, five years, 10 years, uh, 20 years, um, especially in RICO. You know, you, they could go back. So they're building these cases for all of these years, sometimes two decades. They've had all the time in the world to prepare. And now here you are with, you know, a year to prepare, two years to prepare for trial, two and a half years to prepare for trial, you have to go through all of this information that they've been sitting on and they've been 
and I don't mean they've been sitting on all of it, obviously. What I mean is it's been building up. So as it's building up, they're absorbing it, they're understanding it. So they're, they're very well prepared, obviously, because they've been living it for all this time. Now, I'm not saying that they're ready to go for trial, but they have much better preparation and they have much better retention that you, than you're going to have. They've lived this for as long as the investigation went on. They've lived it. So they're going to have a nice general knowledge base of everything uh, against the, the defendant. You know, they're going to have an overview. Now, coming in cold, both the defense team and the defendant doesn't know what they have against them. They have to go through this information, so they have to p- play catch-up from day one. And that's a lot to go through. So as, as fair as, as possible, which I think now, by allowing all of this disclosure to take place in a timely manner, it helps a defendant prepare more properly for a case. And I, and I don't think the arguments against it are really strong. I really don't. I don't think that they support the fact that there shouldn't be discovery reform. You know, I think they're weak arguments. I think the arguments that I just laid out, that it, why a defendant needs this information, are much more stronger and weigh much more heavier than the opposition and as far as safety and things like that. I'm not saying they're not valid. I just don't think they're as strong as what I've laid out, and I don't think they meet the threshold of where where it shouldn't be changed. You know, I think the defendant's right to a fair trial trumps, you know, whatever argument they're trying to make in opposition to that. You know, and, and, and a defendant, when you're dealing with any kind of government, it's another thing you have to think about. When you're fighting a case against any, whether it's state level, federal level, you're fighting a team. You know, you're fighting the department who's bringing that against you. It's not just one or two people. There's paralegals on staff. There's uh, assistants on staff. There's the prosecutor. They're working with law enforcement to give them information. They have a whole team building this case. And on the federal level, it's even greater. They have an even bigger support system. Now, a defendant doesn't have anywhere near that. I mean, mostly defendants, you know, even if they have money, they could hire a solid legal team, but even if you get a firm, there's maybe one or two paralegals, you know, there's a few attorneys. It doesn't even compare to the amount of manpower that the state or the federal government has trying the case. So you're at a big disadvantage in that regard as well. So you need as much preparation, and and the truth is you need a qualified team from day one. You know, you need somebody who's going to, Live, breathe, eat, drink, sleep your case. Really focus on it. Because I'm telling you, from experience, it really takes all hands on deck. And it takes all the effort in the world. And I see far too many times, I'm not knocking all attorneys, you know, but I've seen far too many times attorneys on autopilot, you know, and and they wait for deadlines and they wait for schedules and they wait for dates before they really start diving into the client's case and me personally I wouldn't want that you know I want somebody who's on it immediately you know that's my life uh you know that's something that's very important to me and I'm sure people feel the same way if if you're hiring somebody you want them devoted to your team I, I don't care if they have other cases that's fine but I don't want it to affect my case I want to make sure that whoever I am hiring and whoever I'm bringing on is focused on my case and making sure they're utilizing all the tools necessary. 
You know, you need somebody going through the discovery. You need somebody going through the audio tapes. You need somebody going through the transcripts. You know, if, if you have informants, you need somebody doing background checks. You need somebody investigating if you are going to hire a private eye. There's a lot there to build that case. And there's a lot of investigative work that needs to be done. You know, you're pulling different documents. You have to make sure it all checks out. When you're hearing all these accusations being made against you and you're going through the charges, you got to go through that information and go through the discovery. And you got to find what will help you. And a lot of times it's buried, you know, and it's a lot of work to go through it. It's a lot of work. It's a, and you need all that time. And any time the law works where it tries to delay the defendant getting information, it's a big disadvantage. And they try to minimize it and make it like it's not that big of a deal, but it's crippling to a proper defense. I mean, for example, and I think I spoke about this in the past, but, you know, right before trial, they have like 3,500 material, the 302s. That's all the, the statements the informants made with their handlers, with the agents, with the prosecutors. That's a ton of information, and you'll get that a few weeks before trial. And we're talking, in some cases, thousands of pages, and some of them are handwritten notes. And I did speak about this in a past episode because I mentioned how a lot of times the handwritten notes are illegible. They're so hard to read. And whether that's done intentionally or not, who knows, but they're so hard to read, and you got to go through that because that's where you get conflicting information if somebody's lying. That's where you could trip them up. That's where you could find out they said one thing on one day and one thing on another day. And it just all goes back to the time factor. So, you know, when when the question was, was or the point was raised to me where they feel it's not a positive reform bill as, as it relates to the state side or the government side, the law enforcement side, because it's demanding that informants and witnesses are revealed way too early, I just don't think that's a strong argument, you know, and I just don't think that's something that warrants another change. That's the way it goes. You bring the case, you're ready to go to trial, you got to have all your ducks in a row. And, you know, that's just the way it plays out. Um, And on the defendant's side, he has to, he or she has to be ready to now fight those charges. And if somebody is lying about them, somebody's given false information, you need the time given to you to expose that. And, you know, just getting into that aspect of it, when somebody is lying, and as I uh, touched on earlier, it's very hard to disprove somebody's lying when it boils down to that. And I think the point I made as far as when you enter that courtroom and the jury sees that the government brought this quote-unquote informant or, you know, somebody who's there to tell the truth, when they see the government is backing that person or the state's backing that person, the defendant is already dealing with a large obstacle. You know, they're already dealing with the fact, already dealing with the fact that this is somebody that in the juror's eyes, the government is backing and the prosecutor's backing, the state's backing up. And and that and that is that is a, a large dilemma to try to resolve and to try to overcome. And the only way to do that is to then really expose who this person is. 
And unfortunately, again, as I spoke about, a lot of times when you do try to expose who that person is, you get shut down on the judge level. You know, you're not allowed to talk about, uh, depending on the judge, they won't let you talk about their habits. They won't let you talk about their uh, crimes they may have committed. You know, it's all up in the air. Obviously, you put in to to disclose these things and talk about these things so you have a, a chance to paint somebody's character and to show how it does relate to their ability to tell the truth. But unfortunately, if you don't have a fair judge who allows those things in, <laughs> you got an even bigger problem on your hands. You know, a lot of times they'll try to say, well, that doesn't have to deal with the ability of someone to tell the truth. And, you know, I've made it very clear that that's, to me, that logic doesn't make any sense at all. Everything with character, integrity, ethics, morals, that all has to do with somebody's ability to tell the truth. A moral compass has to do with somebody's ability to tell the truth. You know, and so to me, that argument is, is crazy. It doesn't make any sense at all. And, and it's funny because actually I have um, training going on this week. I have a lot of webinars. And one of the classes I was taking was on uh, ethics. And, you know, they, they, they define ethics in the class. They were basically saying, to paraphrase, where it's an individual's, per, an individual's um, moral principles and code that they live by. So in order to gauge somebody's code and their, and their moral principles and what kind of ethics they have, you'd have to understand, you know, their track record, understand what they've done, what they've made done for people, their reputation, um, how people perceive them, what people have to say about them, past actions. I mean, to me, that all plays into one's uh, overall principles that they built through the years, what they believe in, what they don't believe in, how easy it is for them to lie about something. Or, you know, past actions that may have just shown their character, things they've done, crimes they may have committed, whatever it may be. Reputation, um, anything they've done for society, you know, anything maybe if, you know, they have a, a long uh, a work, working track record. Anything that you could uncover or anything that has to do with, you know, how this person lived their life up until this point, I think is very important as far as weighing truthfulness and, and let's let's call a spade a spade when when a defendant's on trial they bring up everything i mean if if somebody stole a you know a cookie out of a, a cookie jar when they were 10 years old they're going to bring that up and talk about it but yet on an informant you can't talk about certain things you know you can't talk about if they beat their wife you can't talk about if they're you know have a terrible uh, habit related to drugs, if they're, you know, there's so many things you're limited on depending on the judge where they'll say, well, that really doesn't have to do with their ability to tell the truth. And again, I hate to keep harping on it, but that point is ludicrous. It's all tied in. It's all part of somebody's ethics. It's all part of their moral compass, all part of the principles that they built to, to get to where they are in life. You know, and nowadays... There's a lot of ways to see somebody's reputation. You know, there's a lot of ways to see what they're about, what the history is. You know, if they if they are in um, certain areas, certain industries, you could talk to coworkers, you could talk to clients, you could talk to their boss, their employers. There's a lot of way to gauge that on what somebody's all about. Are they a good person? They're not a good person. Trustworthy. And and my point just is with that, you want to use all that information. You want to be able to do those background investigations. You want to be able to find out who you're dealing with. And if you're rushed to trial and you're just giving these names 
right before trial begins, you have to prioritize. And a lot of these things fall by the wayside only because you have to prepare for trial and you don't have the time to do the due diligence. And there's no way in my mind they could spin that or somebody who's opposed to the reform could spin that to make me think, well, you know, it it is more important than disclosing it initially. It's just not. And what I mean by it's just not, I'm not saying safety shouldn't be a concern. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is just you got to make sure before you get to that stage, have that all buttoned up. If you're worried about uh, a witness's safety or an informant's safety, just make sure prior to getting that indictment, you have all that lined up where it will be taken care of. And that's why I believe the the reason for it, the real rationale has to do with a lot of times it limits them in, in further building their case. They want to keep the informants uh, unknown so they can continue to utilize them and make the case even stronger as time goes by while the person is already indicted. Which to me, it, you know, I don't know how that practice is allowed, but it is. But um, I think I think the reform's a good thing, and I wanted to kind of spotlight that for this episode because I think it it needed a more descriptive and a more in depth breakdown. Because I I was actually gr- glad that Frank uh, raised that point. It was uh, it got me thinking. And I believe uh, anybody listening to the radio show, I'm sure it probably resonated with them as well, and and made them think, yeah, well, what about the safety? So I did want to, I did want to break that down a little more in depth, and a little more in detail, just to have people understand what a defendant may be up against. Because based on the emails I receive, based on some of the conversations I have with people who have really no idea what happens when you're going through the system, they're really unaware of these things. And when you're dealing with somebody who's open-minded and is educated and is knowledgeable and, and you and you bring to them or you explain to them and you have this dialogue, you almost see a light bulb go off. You know, you almost see them where they say, well, and they'll, they'll tell me a lot of times, I had no idea it worked that way. And the, the famous line that people always tell me, especially friends and people I've known a long time, they say, if you weren't telling me this, I wouldn't believe it. That's what they always tell me. They go, if, if, if you weren't the one telling me this, I would never believe it because I just can't believe this is what happens in this country. And that's the, that's the scary part. People don't understand what really takes place. And it all goes back to what I'm trying to do here. You know, just have people think about things, understand what takes place, and kick that around. So one day, if you are serving on a jury or if you're currently ser- serving on a jury or if you're a defendant, you know, this could help you as a defendant, you know, just give you ideas what to talk to your defense team around about, you know, and, and, and you need to understand. A lot of people have no idea what discovery is. I mean, if you're not a defendant, you're not going to know what that is. You're not going to know how it comes in. And a lot of lawyers don't really get into detail with their client on the information. You know, they'll just tell them, okay, we got this round of discovery. My team's going through it. I'm telling you, it's very important for the defendants. You got to be on top of that. You, you got to be involved in that process. You want to see what the information is. And that's a lot of time when my firm comes in. You know, we, we almost mediate. You know, we go back and forth a lot. Once we come on with, with counsel, I'll talk to the actual defendants. I'll talk to the clients. I'll let them know the information. I'll let them know what we're working on. It's their life. It pertains to them. Regardless of the severity, they're the, the ones who have to deal with the issues. So they have a right to know everything every step of the way. And it's very important 
people want to be involved. They want to be in the loop. And too many times, unfortunately, and I'm not saying all lawyers. I, I've worked with a lot of really great lawyers, to be honest with you, and really good guys and, 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 and phenomenal ladies and women. And, you know, they, they, they're honest. They're hardworking. But when you get, you get a bad one, it's, it's rough. Even for me, it's rough to watch it when you see someone who's just clocked out. And, you know, if, if my firm's trying to give them information or give them direction and they're just totally close-minded... It's rough, you know, it's, and you try to, you know, I'll try to do things in another manner to, to push them, to have them execute certain things that I think may be important. And, you know, that's, the, the, uh, that's their job. I'm not a lawyer. The lawyer has to decide, but when they don't even want to look at the information, that's a big problem. You know, what they decide is important for their case, that's up to them. But it's our job, my job, to make certain they know everything. I feel they need to know every aspect of that discovery, every aspect of the information, any investigative efforts that I think are worthwhile, they need to be aware of, and then they, they can make the decision. You know, that's that's up to them. But it should definitely be a dialogue. It's something that has to be kicked around with the defendant, with the attorney. If you do have a, a firm like my mine where we're assisting the defense team and we're going through discovery, everybody should be on the same page with that. The paralegals involved should all be on the same page with that. Because those kind of things, I feel... When you're building a case, they have to be group decisions. You know, what, what to focus on, what to extract. That's the way I feel about it. People may disagree with me, but I, I just feel when somebody's life on the line, you got to make sure every, every decision that's made, every objective that you want to reach is a, a, you know, everybody's on the same page and everybody understands it. You may not always agree, but at least if you understand it and it's something you're aware of, you'll have no regrets. There's nothing worse than... God forbid a trial don't work out, things go, you know, the wrong way, and you're second-guessing, or you weren't aware of something that you become aware of later. You know, that's that's a bad place to be. And as I stated prior, you know, in today's day and age, there's a lot of information out there that you can find out on people. You know, people are doing podcasts. We are, I already spoke about that in nauseam about the different podcasts, but my point just is on that. You could get a lot of information on potential informants, uh, on, on uh, someone who may be involved in your trial. You could actually utilize those things to help build your case. You know, if you even find contradictions within the podcast, or you hear stories that don't line up to what's actually, you know, being said or what they're telling the prosecutors, what they're telling law enforcement, you could utilize all that. That's very important information. You know, it's information that could help you. It could help you in the pretrial motions. It can help you during trial. And it all just goes back to needing the time to go down all these different avenues and all these different paths. If you don't have the time, you're handcuffed. You know, and you're, and you're limited, and then you have to start prioritizing. And honestly, the last thing you want to do when you're fighting, fighting for your life, fighting for your reputation, fighting for your family, the last thing you want to have to do is almost pick and choose what you could use and what you can't use merely based on time. It's different if you don't want to use it because it's not a good idea or it's just not powerful. But if you have to sacrifice something solely based on a time element that you just don't have enough time, that's a tragedy in my opinion. That's That shouldn't even be an option. People should have the time they need to make sure the case they put forth is the most powerful case and the most strong defense they could possibly have put together. Because, as I said, you're going up against a team 
of individuals. You're going up against a machine. That's really what you're going up against, whether it's the state level or federal level. You're going up against a machine with endless time, endless money, endless resources. So you got to do your best, and you got to have a top shelf team to make sure you know you you are building the best defense possible. I think that's about it for today. Um, I appreciate everybody tuning in. I appreciate the numbers. Are growing. We're gaining listeners uh, at, a, at a nice pace now. Uh, I'm, you know, we're on the different platforms. Uh, it's on like Spotify. It's on, I think it's on Amazon now podcast. It's on Google podcast. And I tell you, it's getting a lot of views, a lot of plays. And I appreciate all that. And I just hope the content, content I'm putting out and the information I'm discussing is engaging uh, I, I hope people find it interesting, and I hope it you know it continues. Where it's going to go, I don't know. How much longer, I don't know. I you know as long as I have ideas I want to talk about, I'm going to keep talking. You know, and even if it is uh, two in the morning, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to still do it. So that's all I got. Until next time, which will actually be our 45th episode. So talk to you soon.